Let's open our Bibles to the book of Jonah, the first chapter. We've studied Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah, and this is Jonah, and we'll study the rest of the minor prophets over to Malachi. So we'll just follow right on through chapter by chapter and verse by verse. But I'd like to give you a brief of this to start with, and then we'll get into the verse by verse. In the first section here, we have the divine commission. Jonah's first call and commission. This is chapter 1, and through verses uh, 3 and 2 is the first call and commission. And then we have the second call and commission in uh, the third chapter, where God speaks to Jonah again, and it's his second call. Uh, In this uh, whole book, you might... Divided in a simple way, and we'll get into this outline I just gave you as we progress along. But uh, chapter 1, you might want to put fleeing from God. Fleeing from God. Running away from God. And then chapter 2, speaking to God. And chapter 3, speaking for God. And chapter 4, learning from God. So it's a real simple outline if you want to follow that idea. And we will find in the first chapter, Jonah fleeing from God. In chapter 2, he's speaking to God out of the belly of the fish, the great sea monster, the whale. Uh, and then in chapter 3, we'll find him speaking for God when he goes and preaches to Nineveh. And then in chapter 4, we find him learning from God. He has to be taught some lessons after he preaches. You know, most people need to be taught the lesson before they preach, but Jonah had to be taught after he preached. And after he had a great revival. The whole whole city repented and turned to God, and it was the greatest city, they say, in population of that day and hour. The most populated of of the whole uh, cities of the whole earth, Nineveh, and it was a a Syrian capital. But uh, be that as it may, we'll take it verse by verse here. The first thing I want you to notice in his call and commission, it says in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So this is his first call. This is his commission. Uh, Jonah actually means dove. His name means dove. And some have questioned whether he was a real person, but the Bible shows that he was a real individual. In other words, people that don't believe the Bible like we do believe that it's maybe just like a parable or something of that nature, an allegory. Uh, but we know it's an actual, It's speaking of an actual person with actual preaching, with actual events. And if you want the reference to Jonah being a real person, 2 Kings 14, verse 25, 2 Kings 14 and verse 25 says this. And he's talking about the days of uh, one of the kings, I believe it's Jeroboam. And it says in verse... Uh, 25, he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain. Now look, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath Helper. So we find that he's spoken of here the same way that he's spoken of in uh, chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 1. It tells us that Jonah was the son of Amittai. So we have the identification that he was a real person. We could go into what Jesus said about Jonah and we'll prove that the Scripture is actually of a person, a place, and an event uh, and all the things that did happen to Jonah. When we uh, give you the reference in uh, the 
Gospel of Matthew and also Luke where he where Jesus refers to Jonah and how that he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, the death and resurrection of Christ is, is uh, prefigured by what Jonah went through. And uh, Jesus refers to it to it as such. Uh, but anyway, we want to look at this in this way. Now, notice verse 1 again. Now, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amedia. There are seven times in this book of Jonah, this short four chapters, that you have the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. So, several times the word of the Lord came unto Jonah and he uh, spoke what God wanted him to speak. As we look at this first chapter here, we said we'll find him fleeing from God. And we'll find out his flight and disobedience beginning with verse 3. But let's notice again verse 1 and 2 to get a little more background than we have given you thus far. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Media, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God looked down upon this earth and he saw the wickedness of this great city. And we'll find it was uh, well populated. In fact, when we get to the end of the book, you'll see how many scores of people were there. So, uh, he had his commission. But what did he do with it? But Jonah rose up to flee, verse 3, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with with them, that is the ship men that he caught the ship with, with them unto Tarsus, from the presence of the Lord. Now here's his flight and disobedience. First you have his call and commission in verse 1 and 2. And now you have his flight and disobedience beginning with verse 3. He rose up to flee unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. By the way, this was an attempt. It was not an accomplishment. He attempted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Because we find that there's no way to... Uh, flee from the presence of the Lord. Why? Because He's everywhere present. If you turn to Psalm 139, uh, we'll give you some references here. And uh, we'll notice in the 139th Psalm, it says in verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? The question is asked. Psalm 139, verse 7. And it says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So we see God is everywhere present. The presence of God. And no one can flee from the presence of God. There have been people who try to run away from God. And you know Jonah trying to run away from God brought great distress and uh, a great uh, sense of tragedy in his life. You know, there's a lot of people try to run from away from God and God's calling. There's a lot of young men that have been called a priest that have turned their backs on it and gone the other way. And not only young, but older ones. But especially as God calls and God speaks to you to serve Him, don't try to run away from the calling of God. The most miserable people in the world are those that run away from God's calling. And, uh, you know... Moses even, after he was called of God, and then he went to the backside of the desert and spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. I'm sure he was learning, but he was learning through all the tribulations and things that he went through. He was not learning in the sense that he had been immediately obedient to God. And yet he uh, wanted to be, but it was not the time for him. 
And if you'll remember the situation, uh, he got a little head ahead of the calling of God to do the service that God wanted him to do. And in God's purpose and plan, he had to train him for that uh, mission at the backside of the desert. But he, he thought that the brethren would have understood that God had called him, and they didn't understand that he was called of God to be their deliverer. And we can't go back and recite all the things that transpired uh, unto Moses. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. You know, you're always on the downward road when you flee away from God. Remember in the New Testament it says, A certain man went down from where? Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is a holy city. And Jericho was a city of a curse. It had been cursed. And uh, a certain man went down, and what did he do? He fell among thieves. And uh, when we speak of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We speak of a downward course. A downward course of this life. It's like men travel before they're converted. It says, where in times past, in Ephesians chapter 2, we walked according to the course of this world. What's the course of this world? It's a downward course. It's the pathway of least resistance. It's running away from God. Or it's running in a downward uh, way. We know that the waters, they start up high in the mountains and they start running down and down and down till finally they end up in the oceans. Eventually. Everywhere. Except the Dead Sea and when it comes there, it becomes stagnant, doesn't it? Flowing waters stay fresh. But when you come to the end of it and just pool it up, you can smell it. How many of you have been through over there past Almogorda by the White Sands and you see that old salt lake out there? Sometimes when that's Sit there for a while, you pass by there, and you can sm- you have all the windows rolled up in the car, and everything's going fine, and all of a sudden you smell that old dead, stagnant water. Well, think of the Dead Sea. Everything flows into it, and nothing goes out. And that's why it smells like it does. And uh, you and I need to have lives that give out the water of life instead of just taking it all in. It, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from it. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He took off the other direction as far away as he could go. I mean, hundreds of miles. He was going in the opposite direction. Unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarsus. Now notice this. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. You know, you always have to pay the price when you're running away from God. Remember, Paul... Being in the will of God, and God said to Paul, he says, you must be brought before Caesar. And he caught a ship, and he was transported all the way under God's care without any price. He didn't have to pay the fare thereof. But when you and I run away from God, we're surely going to have to pay. You say, well, it's right to pay your fare if you're going on a trip. Well, that's true. But if God's providing the way, he'll supply the need, too. And here, Jonah was running away from God, and he went down into it to go with him into Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. And as we said earlier, this was an attempt, not an accomplishment. But look in verse 4. We find what the, what the Lord does. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. The storm comes. First you have the call and commission. Then you have the flight of disobedience. Now you have the storm. I, if you want to write in your Bible, write... Over beside these verses, uh, verse one and two, you have the uh, you have the call and commission, and then by verse three you have the flight and disobedience. In verse four you have the storm, the result of that running away from God, the storm, and God sends it. The Lord sent out a great wind to the sea, 
And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And notice what happened. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God. They cried to their heathen gods that could not save, nor hear, nor answer. But at least they were very religious, and they were very sincere, and they knew they were in trouble, and they said, we're going to pray about it anyway. You know, sometimes those that have no one to pray to do more praying than those, those of us who have someone to pray to. And so these, these mariners cried every man unto his God. And then they were scared to death and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down in the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Oh, well, you know, Jonah, in spite of being disobedient to God, knew he, was, he belonged to the Lord. So he said, I'm going down there to take a nap. Everything's okay. And the reason for this great storm was the disobedience of the servant of God. That's why God sent this storm upon the sea. Because Jonah was disobedient. And I want us to think of the solemn responsibility resting upon the servants of God. When we disobey God, others suffer uh, for it with us. These others were suffering because of what Jonah did in disobeying God. Isn't that an amazing thing? That you don't live your life to yourself? You know, everyone says, well, what I do is no one's business. But what you do affects other people. It doesn't make any difference what you do. Things in your life as a Christian does have an effect on other people. It can affect them for good or for bad. Remember when old Peter, after the resurrection, says, I'll go fishing. And other disciples said, well, we're going to go with you. Peter could have said, I'm going to stay here and pray. And the Lord said, we pray until the Holy Spirit comes. Well, you say, well, they need something to eat. That's true. And there's mixed feelings about what really was the purpose of all of it. But we know in, in the end, the Lord manifested Himself unto Peter and the other, uh, what they went with Him. John chapter 21. So, think about it for a moment. He could have influenced Him one way or another. And we influence people one way or another in our lives. By what we say and by what we do. Uh, you know, we had quoted this morning, Psalm, I believe it's 122 verse 1, where the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we can influence people in that direction. Or we can just not invite them and not be uh, courteous and kind and generous to them and loving and merciful and do the things that we ought to do. And uh, it will not affect them in that positive way. So here we find that Jonah was causing all this problem. Because it was because of this that the, God, the Lord sent out a great wind to the sea. In verse 4, and there was a mighty tempest. Now, verse uh, uh, 6 says, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. They knew that he was a Jew. They knew that he, was, uh, that he believed in God. They knew that he was a believer. And they said, Arise and call upon thy God. Notice the word God here is capitalized. Even though they were not believers, they knew that he believed. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. Now that means let's take a vote. There were ways of casting lots, and we won't go into all the details of the Old, Old Testament, but it was as much as finding out by a way of uh, casting lots, and I don't know of all the system that was used. I've heard different stories about how it was done, but we won't go into that. It says, so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. They found out that he was the one that was responsible. Then said they unto him, verse 8, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is, is upon us. And they start questioning him. What is thine occupation? What's your business? What you do? What's your trade? 
And whence comest thou? Where are you from? And what is thy country? They could tell he was a foreigner. They could tell he was from a distance away. Evidently, he didn't exactly speak the same uh, dialect and was not talking to them as uh, freely and openly as they would talk with one another. And he says, And of what people art thou? Now, verse 9. And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. He confessed that he believed God was the Creator. He openly confessed as to his uh, nationality. And he openly confessed that he reverenced God. I fear uh, the Lord, the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. He recognized Him as the Creator. It says in verse 10, Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto Him, Why hast thou done this? And he was speechless as to what to say about this. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Here you have God's messenger running away from God. God's messenger, the one that was sent to go and preach to Nineveh. And what did he do? He ran. He ran away from God. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? What's going to ha- how co- are we going to handle this storm now? Remember, they were already casting... Uh, things overboard to lighten the ship. If you look back in verse 5, and cast forth the wires that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. They were doing everything they could to try to remedy the situation. And in verse 11, Then said they in the end, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be common to us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. I mean, it was really uh, roaring with waves and winds. Winds and waves. I don't know how many of you have ever been on the ocean when it's wild. But I was in the typhoon in the 40s off the coast of Japan. Some of you read about it. And I was on an aircraft carrier at that time. And I'm telling you, it felt like that big old ship was going to capsize. In fact, during that storm, I believe it was one or two destroyers did capsize. You may remember reading about it. Well, some of you are a lot younger than that and you wouldn't remember anything. Some of you are older and you wouldn't remember anything. (laughs) But I remember I was there. (laughs) And anyway... You know, when it lists about 30 degrees, that's getting pretty much tilting over, you know. And I've seen it really list. And the the water, the, uh, an aircraft carrier, you have the flight deck, then you have the hangar deck, and down under, it, on the hangar deck level, there's the forecastle of the ship where you have the big old anchors, larger than that piano. And the, the chain links are weigh about 90 to 100 pounds a link. I mean, they're huge. You can't lift one of them. You have to have the mechanism to lift them. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, the water would get up on that forecastle, and then that's the main deck under the flight deck of the ship, and then it would also spray all over the flight deck, and you had palisades rigged along. They have grooves in the in the flight deck of the ship where you rig these palisades. You've seen some of these pickup trucks where they use these big old uh, steel plates with holes in them, for sideboards on the on the trucks, that's what they're made of. And uh, that's probably some stuff you'd buy from uh, surplus to, to make those sideboards. It's big steel plates. I've seen them before, and I imagine some of you have. But they're about yay wide, and they've got uh, places in the bottom that they just slide in a groove, and they make a fence around the deck of the flight deck of the ship, and that's what they're made for. But anyway, the water would spray up on that, and then the, the uh, island and the... Uh, captain's 
deck and everything on the side of the ship that goes up, that superstructure on the side, the water would spray even up that high. And you know, it's kind of scary when it would turn way over, and that's on one side of the ship. And uh, anyway, that's when the sea is wild. And then on the same ship, the same ocean, Pacific, you could look out there sometimes, and it was just as smooth as glass. In fact, it looked like a blue sheet of glass. You couldn't see a ripple a white cap, anything in the whole thing. Just solid, smooth. But God is able to send the great storm, and He did send. He sent a lot of things here. He, he sent the storm, and He had this uh, great fish to swallow up Jonah. And furthermore, He, he uh, sent a gourd to cover him up later on when He was complaining. And then He sent a worm to eat up the gourd. Because Jonah didn't appreciate that. You know, when God sends His grace and does good things for us, He gave him a shade in the middle of that old hot desert there. And old Jonah began to continue to complain. So God said, okay, He sent a worm and eat up the gourd. And there He was out in the he opened again. Sometimes we never know when we're well off, do we? He was better off until He got in the belly of that fish. But we'll find how that happens in a moment. So, when we look at verse 11, uh, then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be common to us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be common to you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Well, at least Jonah was concerned enough to give his life for the life of the others. This may be prefigured and symbolical of, uh, in a way of Christ giving his life for us. On the other hand, Jesus didn't run away like Jonah, he didn't have the same circumstances it brought about, but at least you see some figure of it. Nevertheless, look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. You know, they could not fight against God's purpose. They would not avert the tempest of God's wrath. And you know, no one is able to fight against God's purpose. And His purpose was to teach Jonah a lesson, even though these others suffered with him in the storm. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord. By the way, this whole situation might have made believers out of them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as as it pleased thee. It doesn't say they cried every man to his God, does it? Sometimes in a bad situation, people that have been known not to believe anything will be brought to their knees, won't they? And if you remember in the book of Philippians, the Bible says that the time is going to come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't know if their repentance was somewhat like that of Pharaoh or whether it was genuine. But we know they're scared to death, don't we? And we know that they didn't mind uh, at least attempting to get a deliverance from their situation. <clears throat> Verse 15, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Beginning with this verse, we find the chastisement is coming upon Jonah himself. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. They said, God, if you'll just, uh, we thank you for all this that you've done for us. And, and they offered sacrifice to God. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, a great whale or sea monster. Jesus refers to him as a whale. He could be variously interpreted as a great sea monster. And when the word, it says he prepared a great fish, doesn't mean that he 
had to make one specially for the purpose, but he appointed this one. He chose this particular great sea monster or whale or fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We find that uh, there's a lot of people skeptical about whether or not uh, a fish or a whale could swallow up a man. That is a whole person. But it's a matter of record, and I'll give you some uh, research on it, that there was a whale ship called the Star of the East, February 1891. And this whale ship was off the Falkland Islands. You remember the Falkland Islands? That they had history of all the problem that came up uh, about the Falkland Islands. And this was a whale ship in 1891 off the Falkland Islands that swallowed up a man. And we even have his name. His name was James Bartley. And when they caught this whale, they recovered. As the whaling crew opened up this, the body of this great sea monster... This man was retrieved and revived. His face was bleached out and red and from the digestive system of the, the great whale. But it's a matter of record that that was the case. But you know people that are skeptical, they say the throat of a whale is too small. Well, we don't know in the first place. We don't know that it was the same kind of creature that was spoken of. But that's exactly proof. That's proof, physical proof and evidence that it could be done and was done, and uh, that the man survived. But now, I don't know what shape Jonah was in when he got out of this fish's belly, but I'm sure he wasn't too uh, in too good a shape. But we do, do know that God was in control of all of it. It says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, and we have the prayer of Jonah. Let's follow it on down. It says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. You're going to find a lot of things about Jonah's prayer from the belly of the whale of the fish. I cried by reason of mine affliction to the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I. The word hell here is the word for grave. Out of the belly of the grave. He's in the in a sense in the grave. And thou heardest my voice. He says, For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods come past me about. And thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Now, what an experience Jonah had. He says, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. He had faith. He believed that he would be resurrected from the dead. And he says, Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. And he says, The waters come past me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Now notice this word, yet. I would just circle that. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. He believed in the resurrection. He believed he would be delivered. You know, in the midst of all of this, Jonah was still believing in God. He knew that he had forsaken his own mercy and he had forsaken uh, his way by not obeying God. And he says in verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came unto thee, in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Now I want you to notice verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He just threw that in the middle of his prayer. He knew this applied to himself. And he says... Uh, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. You might let this stand kind of on its own, a verse in this whole prayer. It's something that stand out. He had observed lying vanities and he had forsaken his own mercy. He had forsaken his own mercy in fleeing from God. In Psalm 31, verse 6. Psalm 31 and verse 6. 
notice what it says here. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. There are people that regard lying vanities. And so, also, Jonah said, they that that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He says, but I will sacrifice unto thee the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I vowed. Let's stop there for a moment. What did he say? I will sacrifice unto thee the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay that, that that I have vowed. You can see three things in Jonah's prayer, and we'll get to the climax of it in just a moment. But first of all, notice that there was thanksgiving. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. There was thanksgiving, and there was uh, contrition. There was no feeling of self-sufficiency uh, now. He knew that he did not deserve anything good. And he said in verse 8, 7 and 8, they that forsake lying vanities uh, forsake their own mercy. So I believe that was a sense of contrition on his part. And then there was rededication. When he said in verse 9 and 10, not only the thanksgiving that you find there, but rededication. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that uh, that I vowed. You know, except God would intervene, he is good as dead. And he expects deliverance. And I want you to notice it says, the last part of verse 9, he said, Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. In all of his experience, he finally realized one important thing, that salvation is of the Lord. And notice verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish. You know, God can speak to anything or anyone. The Lord spake unto the fish. Let's don't read the last part yet. The Lord spake unto the fish. He spoke through a donkey, didn't he? He spoke through a rooster (laughs) to Peter. Remember he told Peter, he said, Before the cock crow, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And all the way through the Bible, God speaks in various ways. And when he spoke to this fish, he couldn't stand it in the Lord any longer. Because Jonah had said, salvation is of the Lord. And that's one thing the enemy couldn't stand. That's one thing the situation couldn't stand. And what did it say? And the Lord spake to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. He got rid of Jonah right away. The fish couldn't stand that. And by the way, when you and I say salvation is of the Lord, there's nothing that's going to prevent our deliverance. And he immediately was delivered from the belly of the fish. I believe that will suffice for our lesson tonight. We'll try to pick up with chapter 3 and 4 in our next lesson. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention.